are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. 502. Thou art on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Seriously, you're on the line. Welcome into the Friday edition of the show. I feel like I'd throw that in there for my two interns today that are on their way out. They've been rooting for me to open the show in a quirky way, and we were talking about Marvel movies and star wars movies rewritten rewritten in uh shakespeare styles and uh that that was just throwing that in there for you guys i really appreciate everything y'all have done this semester um and i'm gonna miss both of you guys we'll miss you too noah i was in turn belichick and then sting that was great that was everything i wanted (laughs) (laughs) number to call 334-321-1390 is the number to call to put you through to on the line of course those two that you just heard intern belichick and intern sting if you guys want to call in they'll be on the show with us today chipping in here throughout but of course lance how you doing today my man i'm doing great Noah. today's been a great day so far and i'm just really excited about the uh, sec championship game tomorrow I'm That's right. so hyped, dude. It's 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 part of the best time of the year, man. Well, I'm most excited about Auburn Yale tomorrow. Oh, of course. <laughs> it's not often that you get to see Yale come to the plains. This yeah. is exciting. Yeah, and it's it's kind of disappointing because just a couple of years ago, I mean, Yale was consistently like one of the best programs in the Ivy League and they were like a, a legitimate NCAA like tournament like contender and this year it doesn't really seem like they are but you know what it's still it's still an interesting non-conference matchup I think sure. they're in the mix I think them Harvard Princeton of course most of the time those are the three teams that I'll be vying at the top I still think they're certainly at the mix this is kind of a mixed bag of a schedule for Yale at this point I'm not shocked to see them at five and four at this juncture in the season of course the Ivy League has a tournament now right I don't know I don't know. Are you talking like at the end of the season? Yeah, they have a conference tournament. Brady, do you know this? Uh, no, but I'll look it up real I'm quick. I'm pretty sure they they started it a couple of years ago, and then, of course, the Ivy League decided that they weren't going to do any sports during COVID, and now they're back. I think, if I remember correctly, they may have a conference tournament. I don't know for what reason that's in my head. So it's a lot harder to make it out of the Ivy League now than it was previously, in my opinion, because you could win the league in the past in the regular season you were in, but now that's not enough. That doesn't do anything for you. That just, if I'm if I'm correct, that just gets you into the NIT. Yeah, the the Ivy League just got the uh, conference tournament in 2017. Okay, so it's even been longer than 2019. I thought it started in like 2019 or 2018 or whatever. Okay, yeah. well that that makes a lot of sense. And Princeton won the first one, right? Princeton won the first one in 17. Penn won in 18. Yale won in 19. There was none last year. I'm a fountain of ivy league knowledge gentlemen let's go who won the conference before the tournament started is the legitimate question in 2016 it was probably harvard back then if i had to guess or yale i'm gonna go harvard or yale because that 2016 yale team well, there's only like four teams in the conference you can just get, can't. no there's like eight I'm or kidding, nine but uh yale back then that was when they were playing baylor in those early round tournament matchups and they were very much still on the cusp of pulling upset so i bet it was yale in 2016 
There is only four teams, though, that make the Ivy League Conference Tournament. I just looked it up. So only the top oh, wow. four seeds in the conference go to the Conference Tournament. You know, I respect that. I do, too. I, I respect that. And, and my reasoning for this is, and we're not going to talk about the Ivy League too long, I promise. We're going to talk some Auburn stuff in just a moment. But the reason why I respect that is because you go to all this trouble across the regular season to win the regular season championship and it means absolutely nothing other than an nit bid if you fail to make the tournament but none of these teams want to go to the nit at the end of the year the mid-majors i'm speaking about they want to go to the dance and you put in all that work and then all of a sudden the eight seed wins the conference tournament and you've got someone with a losing record in the ncaa tournament which is fun for the average fan that that does not root for them but it's got to be absolutely gut-wrenching for somebody that goes like 24 and 8 and, and ran the table across their conference season, maybe even only lost one or two games, but they lost one in the championship game or the semifinals of the conference tournament. It's like, nope, you're done. If you want a higher quality NCAA tournament, sure, I understand the argument that um, conference champions makes things really interesting for about a week in March, but do you really care whether or not it's someone who's 14 and 16 in the dance who's going to lose in the first four versus actually getting some high quality group of five and mid-major teams into the uh, I'm still in football mode getting some mid-major and small conference teams in the dance because those are the teams that can actually pull upsets and make things wild well that's I, I was about to say you're talking about football I mean this feels like a very similar argument to college football playoff expansion like why we shouldn't be expanding so far it's like it I can see the similarities there of wanting to get quality competition in uh, for these mid-majors. So I understand it. I get it. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Then I'll put you through to us here on the Friday edition of On the Line. Of course, we got onto that conversation there because Auburn will be playing Yale tomorrow in Auburn Arena at 1 p.m., a unique matchup. That's one that I've had circled on the non-conference schedule since it was released. I just find that to be a fun game against a well-rounded, fundamentally sound basketball team that has given a few major powers in college basketball some trouble over the years especially in the NCAA tournament should be a fun game tomorrow I don't think Auburn's going to struggle we will break that game down throughout today's show as well as we have Saturday selections coming up for conference championship weekend and football as well as we will talk with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer and Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com for all things Auburn right now and what's going on with the coaching search for Auburn at offensive coordinator as well as recruiting a lot of things are heating up for both of those guys covering Auburn athletics we're going to start off the show today talking about Auburn's search for offensive coordinator and Lance of course where there's smoke there's fire some more names continue to rise in this search what's the latest going on right now at OC for Auburn well they've got a multitude of different guys that they could be looking at but it was something that actually you me and Sting were talking about uh, last night Auburn apparently now a new name into the mix is Western Kentucky's offensive coordinator Zach is it Kitty or Kitley it's Kitley it's Kitley. definitely not Kitty I would be like that would be so freaking <laughs> hilarious but yeah is that is Zach Kitley the uh, OC at Western Western Kentucky is now apparently in the mix uh, with the other 50 million names that Auburn is that 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 have been thrown out his Wikipedia page was even changed momentarily last night it was and then it changed uh, and then it changed back from what I saw but but whenever I looked at it it still had him coaching in the SEC so whoever went to re-edit it uh, did not like clean it up all the way immediately so I, I don't I don't know what the deal is there but he uh, apparently now is a is a candidate that has uh, been thrown into the mix along with the uh, with the few others that Auburn's looking at 
Of course, also Damian Craig's name, Texas A&M's yes. current wide receivers coach, also Auburn quarterback when he was here. He was also an Auburn receivers coach when he was here. Damian Craig has re-entered the picture in another Auburn coaching search. What do you think about that? Do you would you would you be interested in, ha- in having Craig come and run the offense, or would you rather go with somebody that's that's currently an actual OC? Because whenever I look at guys like Keysaw and I look at guys like Craig, like I don't know if I do want them piloting my offense next season. Having but at not least Keysaw has been an OC before. Sure, but but still, like I, it, the fact that Auburn's looking potentially outside at some of these other guys indicates to me that Keysaw is not ready to make that move. And then Zach Hill, also in the mix out of yes. Arizona State. Going back to your question about Damian Craig, we know that Damian Craig is a good recruiter. He is one of the guys on that Auburn staff under Malzahn that did such a good job of bringing in some high-profile wide receivers. Guys like Nate Craig Myers come to mind. But I still question the development side of that position group. Now, I've come more to the side of things now talking about Auburn's receivers where I land that it was probably the scheme and the head coach who was limiting the ability for these guys to be developed. And my reasoning for that is, look at what Cody Burns is doing at Tennessee right now. Those receivers can ball, man. Yes. And that passing game is one of the best in the SEC with Hendon Hooker at quarterback. Cody Burns is doing a really good job, and I think it's benefited him a little bit to get out from underneath Gus Malzahn. Maybe he'll be an offensive coordinator one day. Honestly, I'm kind of shocked that his name isn't in the mix here. Now that I think about it, who? Cody uh, Burns. B- Burns. I, I'm curious to see what Burns does as well after this year at Tennessee. I mean, obviously, Heupel and that offense are, have really gotten going. I wonder if they value what he's done with that receiver room enough to keep him. And and, and maybe they'll throw some money I'm just shocked that the that... name hasn't been thrown out there yet. Every name under the sun seems like it's been thrown out for Auburn OC as far as the West Coast can see. You know, like, I'm kind of shocked that of all of the names regionally that have been mentioned that he wasn't one of them now that I think about it what do you think Burns would bring to the table as an OC I'm just curious I think he's a good recruiter he did a really good job extending what Damian Craig did as a recruiter at Auburn with the wide receivers and once again I go back to he's done a really good job with Tennessee's wide receivers I'm beginning to wonder if that was a Gus Malzahn and a scheme problem for the receivers that they just weren't teaching them routes like the passing tree was so predictable that it was not difficult to cover right because he's doing a really good job at Tennessee right now and I don't know what recruiting looks like for Tennessee at the wide receiver position but Burns inherited a so-so Tennessee offense with a struggling passing game and now look at what's going on at Tennessee the receivers are one of the strengths of the team as well as the quarterback play and sure a lot of that may be hypo and that may be the scheme maybe we don't know enough about Burns yet but I know that he's a good recruiter just like Damian Craig and I would probably still give the edge to Damian Craig in terms of being able to recruit receivers and Craig's done a good job with his receiver room at A&M they for the last two or three seasons have had one of the better receiver rooms in the SEC I just don't know if you want to go back to Craig if you're Auburn right and And he's a bit of a journeyman so how long do you really get Craig I will say this in terms of like recruiting for both Burns and Craig and what they were able to do I mean Auburn recruited that position very very well they were only behind Georgia in terms of star ranking from like 2016 to when Gus Malzahn was let go they were tied with Alabama 
that Alabama was on average not getting better recruits than Auburn was at the receiver based on position. star ranking, on not star necessarily ranking. recruiting rankings like one through two hundred, right? But right. star ranking, Auburn was right there. Well, I mean, like specifically, well, not not specifically the star ranking, but like the actual like grade that they. Oh, got. Oh, really? Yeah. So on average, they were right, literally tied exactly with Alabama on average. Kind of shocked by that. Georgia was just a little bit ahead of everybody. So it's not the recruiting that was the issue at receiver. It was the player development, and so I'm just curious to see if Auburn were to bring one of those guys back. Sure, maybe the recruiting gets better at that position, but what does the development look like for those guys, and would Keesaw be able to actually develop those guys? It would just be interesting to see how that would work. Something else, another layer to this, talking about Auburn's offensive coordinator search that I want to mention. I said this throughout the week. I don't necessarily want to see Auburn go after a big name. I don't want to see Auburn necessarily go after someone that you think, oh, because of their name or their history is an absolute splash hire. Who is the best fit? Auburn is debunking a lot of historical trends right now. They are going against the grain with their new coaching staff. You hired a guy from Boise, Idaho. You know, there was that saying or that term that Auburn would have when they'd go for coaches and they would say that they were looking for an Auburn man. It seems like Auburn was looking oftentimes for a for a like culture fit as opposed to necessarily the best option for a coach. And I hope that they're not doing that here at offensive coordinator. And that's why I'm still a little reluctant to say maybe I want to go with Damian Craig because although he is a good recruiter, Bobo's a pretty decent recruiter. I thought that's what he brought to the table more than his scheme. While while Bobo knows how to develop quarterbacks and and recruit pretty well in the area, I don't know if he was a great fit for the team from a coaching and scheme perspective. And that's as evidenced by the way that things ended this season. I've said that a couple of times in the last week. Maybe he just didn't work that well with Brian Harson's vision for the offense. Will Damian Craig do that? Someone who hasn't even called plays yet in his time as a coach? I mean, at some point, someone has to take that step, and maybe Damian Craig would be really good at it, but I just hope Auburn's not making decisions based off of legacy and history and tradition rather than building this team in the image that Brian Harson has his vision for and what would help it be the most successful. If Brian Harson believes his system and his philosophy is going to be what is going to make Auburn work and make Auburn successful, don't hire somebody just because they have some type of Auburn connection. I'm okay with getting a little wacky and weird with your hires here if they all work together and they achieve a common goal. Well, if you don't necessarily want to hire a guy that's, that has an Auburn connection and you believe that Harson believes that his scheme is going to work, do you think that he's potentially going to hire somebody that he's worked with specifically in the past? Which is like, why I've said all week that I like Keysaw, but it seems like right. Keysaw's name has faded a little bit in these discussions. I love the Kitley move if that's where Auburn decides to go. Western Kentucky offensive coordinator. Now, I can see people, you know, out there being like, oh, he just hired somebody from Western Kentucky and this guy recruits. Look, once again, everybody starts somewhere. Gus Malzahn was a pretty darn good offensive coordinator when he made the jump out of high school at one point. Now, did the game pass him by? Sure. But everybody's got to make the jump at some point. And I just said that about Craig, and it could work out for Craig, but this is more about me wanting to go outside the box and get someone who I think, based off of what he's done already in college football, would fit the vision of what Auburn wants to do on offense. And what Auburn clearly to me, and, and I, I don't think I'm mistaken here, I'm thinking Auburn's wanting this West Coast passing offense to be at the forefront of what they do. 
I don't think that this is a run first football team anymore I think that they are balanced you look at the play calling split it's 50 50 with Auburn after this year I think that's what they want but look at how many times they throw on first down now compared to what they did under Malzahn which is which was a massive culture shock for us I just get this vibe that Auburn is more pass oriented than they are run oriented because they had so much more of a commitment to the passing game at times this past year than they did with a running game the offensive line changed completely to be a better pass blocking go line than a run blocking offensive line just so many things this year pointed towards me believing that Auburn was more pass oriented than run oriented Western Kentucky, just look at the passing game, man. That's a passing offense that can average over 300 yards per game. That's a dude who's engineering it and knows how to work with some good quarterbacks. Well, let me tell you what Western Kentucky's doing, just to give you some of those numbers right now. You're talking about Auburn being more pass-oriented. Western Kentucky is scoring 43.3 points per game. That's second nationally. They are averaging 422 passing yards per game. That is first nationally by a wide margin. And they are second nationally in total yards per game. What are they doing? Rush yards. Rush yards, it's 103. But again, total yards mm. is second nationally. Total. Air raid like, but not fully air raid. They're not right. they're not averse to running the football like Mississippi State is, but they throw the ball primarily. And I don't blame them. At that level it works. I don't think you can go air raid in the SEC and it worked to the point where you can win an SEC championship. Like I don't think it's gonna work like that at Mississippi State. But I do think you can take and translate some things from an air raid scheme to a West Coast offense like Auburn's, mm-hmm. and it can really help improve quarterback play in the passing game and take it to an even an even an even extra level without completely abandoning the rushing attack. I think that would be tremendous for Auburn. That's another reason why I like this move. I also read last night when I was going down the rabbit hole after I heard about this. Western Kentucky has four wide receivers with over 600 yards, and all of them are averaging over 9 yards per catch, which is something that Auburn has never seen. And that's what I like so much about this. Now, once again, how much of that translates to the SEC? And they're obviously putting a massive emphasis on throwing the football, whereas I don't believe that Auburn should be throwing the ball 60-40% of the time, right? I still like the play call split that we had this year at 50-50. The running game definitely needs to be a valuable part of your offense. I would still love to see Auburn at average 150 to 160 rush yards per game if they're getting a good yards per per carry but if you can tell me that Auburn's going to be able to average around 300 pass yards per game with this offense if you make this move go for it yeah and you look at the guy you're talking about the receivers the guy throwing to him Bailey Zapp I don't know if you've heard of him 52 touchdowns nine interceptions 70 percent completion percentage that's what they're that's what this offensive coordinator's quarterback is doing this season and granted once again I will go ahead and play devil's advocate with everybody because I know this is what a caller would say I know this is what a lot of people in Auburn will say they'll be like is because they said it when they when they hired Brian Hartson, but like you're hiring him from Western Kentucky. But I do think it's a little bit easier to make a move at a coordinator position or a position coach mm-hmm. from a group of five school or from a small conference school, and it's easier for them to work out because they're not shouldering as much of the responsibility as a head coach is. And I, I think it's easier to translate things from a scheme to to the SEC than maybe it is um maybe it is from from necessarily a culture or recruiting standpoint and so while kitley may be behind the ball in terms of of a recruiter uh he may very well also be exceptional in terms of his ability to develop quarterbacks and work his scheme with this auburn offense that would help take the passing game to the next level which i think in turn would help take the offense to the next level because that's what auburn's missing right now compared to all the great offenses in college football what do they all do well 
Alabama throws the ball very well. Ole Miss throws the ball very well. Tennessee throws the ball very well. There's three of your top five offenses in the SEC right now. They all throw the ball exceptionally. And Georgia does it at an efficient pace. It's just not the base of what they do. But at this moment, they don't need it because their defense will hold you to under 10 points, right? But most years, what has held back Georgia offensively from being able to get over the hump against Alabama, among other teams? The fact that they couldn't throw the ball with consistency against those squads. So if you want Auburn to take the next step as a program, you need a guy who can help elevate this passing game. And I think Kitley can do that. I'm okay with people saying, well, can he recruit? Sure. But look at this Auburn staff right now and look at how many guys we asked that question about. And sure, recruiting right now maybe at 12th in the SEC, but look at Nick Eason. Nick Eason had never had to recruit in his life. And I think he's turned into being one of the better recruiters on this staff at defensive line. And he's in for a lot of high-profile recruits right now going down the line here up to signing day over the next two, three weeks. Four of the top five total offenses, total yards offenses in the SEC average at least 247 yards passing. And Tennessee is the lowest there. And Auburn finished this regular season averaging 241. Let's take a quick break here. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. What's the latest on the coaching search at OC for Auburn? Uh, been talking about that a little bit. I think you and I's ideal candidate shifted when we heard about a certain name last night. And it is Western Kentucky Offensive Coordinator Zach Kitley, not Kitty Lance. I want it to be Kitty, man. I want it to be Kitty so bad. But whenever I hear his name, I do think to Monsters, Inc. When the little girl says, Kitty! Which is what Sting was just playing in the break. (laughs) I didn't hear that. That's awesome. Oh, man. Might have to call him Sullivan. Intern Sullivan now? No, I'm talking about Kitley. Oh, there we go. Fun fact, though. I discovered this in an AL.com article. I discovered this. Can't believe it. He coached Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech. Really? How about that, guys? Well, that's where my eyes got really big during the commercial break. I was like, ooh. All right. Well, if Nick's comes back, that it's no longer dark horse for the Heisman. It's just Heisman time at that point, honestly. If Auburn could get a couple of guys in the transfer portal, like receivers, who boy, that would be fun to watch. And I think you could show recruits this scheme, quarterbacks, receivers. I think it would take off. I think you could show them, hey, this is how we're going to use you. It's basketball on grass. Have a good time. It's not air raid. It still has a running game aspect to it, and I still think Kitley will have to form if he ends up being the offensive coordinator. I still think anybody who gets hired here will have to conform to Brian Harson's vision of it on the offensive side of the ball, but I do think he is looking for someone, based on a lot of these candidates, I think he's looking for someone that can elevate the passing game even beyond where it went this year, which was 241 uh, passing guards per game, which is one of the highest marks Auburn's had since like 2004 when they had 247. Speaking of like Brian Harson and merging the offense together, how many tight ends does Kitley usually use? Do y'all know? It's a good question. I don't know. Watch the Conference USA Championship to game. The Ryan Conference USA Championship. How do I sponsor a championship game like can i can it be the, the noah, noah big 10 championship game <laughs> would you want the big 10 championship game what if you had if you had your pick what would you get if i had my pick of any championship game not just this, this year, year but just for like period from here on out it's it's for known as the noah gardner championship game no i just want the noah championship oh, game just the noah the noah hmm your pick has to be the big 12 right no, it's the Sun Belt. The Noah Ooh. Fun Belt Championship game. Hey, I like that. I like that. 
Uh, just random side note here. We were talking about transfer portal. Clemson's backup quarterback into the transfer portal, though Tyson, and then I can't Pumachan. Pumachan. It, uh, it looks like somebody. There's a name pronunciation on the Clemson website. I've had to go there a time or two. It looks like somebody sneezed whenever they went to type his they name also, into on the keyboard. They also <laughs> lost a wide receiver recently, didn't they? Uh, who was it? Well, Justin Ross announced that he was not coming back, but they may have lost someone to the transfer portal that I missed. But yes, that was just a fun fact that I wanted to throw in there. Zach Kitley at Western Kentucky did coach or help coach Patrick Mahomes when he was at Texas Tech so that's a big deal that's a big deal and I don't know if Auburn's going to go in this direction but his name definitely was bouncing around in the rumor mill last night and I'll be interested to see if Auburn ends up going with Kitley and going in that direction and if they do I wouldn't be shocked if they are waiting till after the Ryan Conference USA Championship tonight which is at 6 p.m. on CBS Sports Network Western Kentucky is favored by three and a half over UTSA let's get that pick in right here we're not going to play the stink for it don't worry about Belichick we don't have a minute left here in this segment who are you picking in the most entertaining conference championship game tonight these two teams met in the regular season it was Western Kentucky's lone loss in the regular season in conference play they finished seven and one in that category they lost utsa 52 to 46 sting started off my stepsister's on a track scholarship to western kentucky so i'm going with the hilltoppers to get revenge and win the conference yeah i'm going for with uh, western kentucky as well look utsa has been on a little bit of a slide recently they only beat southern miss by 10 they barely beat uab and then they lost to north texas in their regular season finale i think western kentucky has a little bit too much offense uh, for utsa to keep up with what is a hilltopper, by the way? It's someone who gets to the top of a hill, I think. Quite literally a hilltopper. In segment. There's an AL.com article about it. I'm going to read up on this during the break, but I'm kind of curious as to actually what is a hilltopper. Kind of looks like a ball of Play-Doh, their mascot yeah, Their does. mascot is Nightmare Fuel. <laughs> you see him in the NCAA games? I mean, he is scary, dude. I'm picking Western Kentucky as well. I think the offense is fun. They're playing really good football right now, whereas UTSA, as you mentioned, Lance, is on a bit of a slide. But still a good football team nonetheless. This is going to be the most entertaining game tonight between that and the Pac-12 championship. We'll keep making picks throughout the show, but we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer coming up here on On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to dial 334-321-1390 or text us at 334-564-1840. We're going to head to the phone lines now. We've got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us today. Justin, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, man? Doing great. All right, starting off here at the top, want to ask you about the Auburn offensive coordinator search. Obviously, there have been a multitude of names thrown out that Auburn could potentially be looking at. Who are some of the names that you're looking at, and who do you think is the most likely to get hired? I think Zach Hill's probably the one that makes the most sense and is probably the one that's got the most buzz right now, um, just has been mentioned the most. Uh, you know, former offense coordinator under Brian Harson at Boise State had a had a you know a couple of good offenses there, but then went to Arizona State had a really good first year there. This year, not quite as much, but definitely a guy who knows uh, how to work with a young quarterback. Jaden Daniels um, did a, did a really good job with him. Um, you know, and 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 has familiarity with Brian Harson what he's looking for. So that that one checks a lot of boxes would make a lot of sense. Kind of the easiest like for like substitution for. Um, 
Mike Bobo. A um, couple others uh, that, that kind of make sense, kind of floating around. Um, you know, Andy Ludwig was going to be coaching in the Pac-12 title game. Utah's offense coordinator, former uh, coach of Brian Harson back in the day at Boise State, uh, was Derek Mason's offense coordinator at Vanderbilt when their offense was at its best. Um, his last year was by far Vanderbilt's best year under Mason uh, and had several guys go to the league off that offense. Uh, and has done a really good job at Utah. Uh, last three years, Utah's had top 30 offenses and has been one of the more consistent and tough teams to play, uh, you know, in the Pac-12. Um, some other ones that, you know, kind of, you know, also would, uh, would, would make sense is Matt Wells, former Texas Tech head coach, Utah State head coach, Harson, cross pass with him. This is a name that kind of popped up pretty, pretty quickly uh, in the search. Um, right after you know it started, kind of on Monday, and um, doesn't seem to have been gone gone away. Guy has got a uh, good track record with successful offenses uh, out west. Uh, offense really wasn't the problem for Texas Tech at the end of his head coaching tenure. Uh, and then there's some other ones. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see if Auburn has any interest in a guy like Jeff Grimes uh, with all, his Auburn ties, and he's got a little bit of a background with Hartson, both being. Uh, guys that were uh, under Dirk Cutter um, and uh, did an excellent job at, at BYU and also is doing an excellent job right now at Baylor as their offensive coordinator. Um, and then some other names have been floated out there. The uh, the offensive coordinator at Western Kentucky, um, who has got the number two passing offense in America right now, one of the best uh, instant impact uh, hires anybody made in college football this year. They kind of imported that Houston Baptist offense into Western Kentucky and did a really good job with it. Uh, they're playing in they're playing in their conference style game this weekend. Uh, you've heard Damian Craig's name floated out there. You've heard um, you, you've heard Del McGee's name floated out there. So it, it, it does seem like it's kind of a wide net uh, at this point. But I would be surprised though if if Harson went with somebody who at least he didn't have some sort of experience with. You mentioned Damian Craig there. I was asked earlier, and I, I kind of was reticent to respond because. Um, I would kind of be intrigued to see if Auburn actually went back to Damian Craig. What are your thoughts on Damian Craig potentially returning? Yeah, I mean, it would be a really interesting move for Auburn for sure. Um, you know, Damian Craig uh, has been at Texas A&M. Um, he was obviously an awesome recruiter um, and hasn't been a guy who has been a play caller in the past, but somebody uh, with Auburn ties and has a really good recruiting background. I think it would be interesting to see how Auburn would do that, you know, kind of what – what would come about if, if Craig were to come back uh, to Auburn. And, and, you know, it definitely would be a shot in the arm in recruiting, um, you know, and it would be interesting to see, you know, what would it be with the quarterback's coach? Is that somewhere like Eric Kiesau could, 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 could move back there, just kind of who would, who would coach at that point. But um, the fact that it has been a name that's been mentioned, um, you know, by, by a few reporters here on the last 24 hours, uh, I think it definitely deserves attention. Moving along, talking about another – situation with this Auburn offense that probably deserves a little attention too is uh what's going on at quarterback I know there's there's probably not a ton of information out there it's been held private but uh what do you think of the current situation with Bo Nix yeah I think it's just one of those spots where he could go either way um he could stay or he could go and for a while I thought you know if it would be tough to me for me to see you know uh, a future where Bo Nix wasn't the the quarterback at Auburn like you'd be a quarterback in another college team but it does sound like that's more of a possibility than maybe people would have thought to begin with. I don't think it's one way or another. Anybody's kind of uh, got it kind of sure. I think a lot of rumors have been flying around. A lot of things have kind of been linked elsewhere. But 
think Bo's going to have to evaluate and make the best decision for himself. I think uh, Auburn's offense coordinator hire, I think, will play a part into this um, and kind of see how that fits. Um, and uh, yeah, be, it would be interesting because if you don't, if you lose Bo Nix, I think Auburn would have to probably try to get another quarterback in the portal um, just for you know depth and competition purposes. And then you're, you know, you would have to break in a new starter, and you've got some intriguing options. But I mean, Nick's being a guy who started so many games, it would be it would be a it would be a loss uh, there that Auburn would have to try to fill in uh, somehow. Well, talking about the transfer portal here, obviously Auburn, like you just said, would have to uh, get a quarterback. But outside of that, Auburn is going to have to get, I think, in my opinion, a multitude of additions from the transfer portal this offseason. What is the most valuable position for the Tigers to pursue in the transfer portal? Uh, offensive line, obviously, and but that's the thing is that that's probably the toughest one to get in the transfer portal because everybody tries to get uh, transfer portal offensive linemen. Um, they're valuable, and then experience matters a lot up front. Um, so I know Auburn's going after a couple of them already. One from FIU that's a that's kind of a bigger name, but yeah, it's it's, it's one of those things where I think Auburn's going to have to really really focus on kind of getting those offensive linemen, and we don't know who's going to come back from this uh, unit necessarily. Uh, some of the seniors have. And ability to come back, but it seems like some of them are already moving on. Um, so, I mean, Auburn's rebuilding their offensive line, and they would love some of an impact type of players up front. Um, problem is, pretty much any any team in the country is going to want to uh, get a get you know experience on the offensive line. So, Auburn's got to do a really really good job of trying to land some of those guys. Speaking with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, Justin, you have any kind of inkling? I know bowl projections can be very vague at this point, even just you know a couple of days away from them revealing actual real bowl locations. But where do you think Auburn's going to be bowling? Yeah, it could be anywhere. It really could be anywhere. Um, I feel like there's that little bottom end of the wad, that kind of pool. I mean, you could it could be Charlotte, it could be Houston, it could be Memphis, it could be Jacksonville, it could be. Probably won't send them to Tampa that that quickly, but maybe uh, Nashville. Um, there's just, I mean, it's that it's that pool that it's kind of some of everything. And then, of course, can't count out because of Auburn finishing six and six, and because of their close geography. Um, maybe a place like the Birmingham Bowl, because the SEC would know that'd be a really easy sell, really easy trip for a lot of Auburn fans. That might be a destination they end up in, but it, it truly could go anywhere yeah. outside of the big bowls for the SEC. It, it's kind of wide open. And speaking about that Birmingham Bowl, I mean, you know, the storylines that you could sell there, you know, like you were mentioning about UCF probably going to play there. I'm kind of curious how that works with the process because the Birmingham Bowl is in that tier below all of the other ones that get to choose first in the selection process. I wonder what that's like for them to kind of, um, you know, work together to be able to ensure something like that happens, you know? It would be interesting. I don't know if anybody on either side, football team wise, would want to see that matchup happen. I don't know if you know. I don't know if you see. I don't know if Gus Malzahn's UCF or Brian Harson's Auburn would be gung ho to play against each other. But uh, it definitely would make a lot of sense from a TV perspective and a matchup perspective. So it's interesting. The SEC kind of assigns uh, those spots uh, to teams, and like there's a lot of six and six teams at the bottom of the you know the SEC in the pecking order right now for the bowls. So it's like. It just depends on if where they view Auburn at. Is Auburn a team that can kind of get into that bigger pool, or do they say like, you know, what, we'll stick Auburn down here just because we know that we can, um, you know, we can sell more tickets, or you know, it would be a better fit for Birmingham. So uh, we shall see. Justin, switching to basketball now. Auburn with a fun game tomorrow against Yale. But before we get to that, tell us some of your takeaways from seeing Auburn wheel out to me their most impressive win of the season against UCF in the midweek. 
yeah, they did a really good job in that game. Um, they could have beaten UCF by a lot more, um, and that's a that's a UCF team that's going to be fighting for, you know, NCAA tournament, possibly NIT um, kind of uh, future for them. They're really good. They're really experienced. They know what they're doing with their pressure defense and the kind of uh, turnover you know worthy uh, stuff that they they try to generate. Um, really good game. I mean, I thought Auburn's defense did a really good job, especially in the second half of locking in and then. You know, they knew they were giving up some size in the backcourt to UCF, and I thought Auburn's guards held their own on both ends of the floor in that regard. But what, where they had a clear advantage was the front court, especially with Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler, uh, and those guys really turned it on in the second half, uh, and 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 were, were the difference in you know Auburn kind of pulling away and and blowing them out towards the end. So um, yeah, it's just one of those games where you got two. You know, ultra talented players in Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler, they're still new to it and they're still new to the team. And for Smith, still new to college basketball, um, that, you know, their aggressiveness and their, you know, just go up and get it kind of offense, um, you know, they, they, they can be guys that can do that for Auburn, especially coming up here in this little stretch where they're going to play some teams that don't have the size that, that, that Auburn does. And so I think Smith and Kessler is kind of more aggressive offense and, and, and putting points on the board and, and uh, and doing a great job on the uh, in rebounding, I think was was a big key in this one. What are your thoughts on the Auburn Yale matchup tomorrow? Yeah, Yale's going to be a team that uh, I don't think they're necessarily blowout city territory. Um, they are a really good Ivy League team, um, probably the best Ivy League program right now consistently um, in that league, and that uh, that counts for a lot. They have a head coach that's been around for a very long time. They've They've got a couple of pretty impressive wins on their schedule. No giant killings yet, but um, this is a team that's going to shoot, and they're going to live and die by their by their shooting ability. It's kind of like a typical Ivy League team. You're going to see a lot of cuts. You're going to see a lot of good half-court offense. You're going to see them run some good stuff to try to get open shots. And So Auburn's got to be really good in that regard. And then I think it's kind of similar to the UCF game when it comes into half-court offense is that these guys are not as big as you at all. Um, so I think they're going to have to – uh, get to the rim, um, use Smith, use Kessler, use Jalen Williams, use all those guys to kind of lean on it. And I also think this could be a game, a game where uh, you see the guards kind of get downhill a little bit more. Fun question to you before we let you get out of here. How many blocks does Walker Kessler have against clearly an undersized basketball team? <laughs> That's a great question. You have seven, six, seven the other night. Yeah, he's. Uh, I'm going for triple-double with a- blocks. I mean, he could he could probably get it. Like he could probably like you know depends on. My only thing is I I wonder how much Yale's going to try to test him down low, right? So like you know this is a Yale team that takes a lot of threes, that takes a lot of jumpers, um, so it might cut down on those opportunities. But man, if they try to try to get him down low, I mean he is a he is he is in rare form right now when it comes to blocking shots. I think he's fifth in the country in block percentage right now. Um, he's just been a great great rim protector so i'll see it wouldn't surprise me if yale would like just try to stay away from him as much as possible try to rely on those jumpers and just say hey if we don't hit them you know we'll, we'll live with it uh, but uh you know if they they start trying to get a little downhill or if he closes that well he could he could get a he get a big night justin we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today tell everybody where they can find all your great content yeah harvardobserver.com check it out uh we have it for uh $6 a month or $60 a year gets you access to everything we've got going on uh, on the website. Um, and uh, you, we get we email everything straight to you. Uh, so our newsletters and our podcasts on Auburn football and men's basketball come right to you uh, so you can read and listen on your own time. Justin, I appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a great weekend. Yeah, yeah, y'all be good. Thank you.
That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer with us. Lance, a thought on the question that I asked Justin. How many blocks for Kessler? I'll say eight. I'll eight? say eight. I think he gets really close. But but at the, I think Auburn pulls off at the end of the game, and they maybe uh, let him go to the bench before he could, he could uh, have the opportunity to get ten. But if he stays in for the entire game, I think he could. I'll say eight, though. Ferg makes a great point, though, that Yale shoots a lot of threes. A lot of threes. That's the name of the game for them. I didn't think about that. They're a very undersized team. They might just be chucking it up from beyond the arc for a while. They may not test them. That's a great point. And you can keep up with all of his great points. Once again, check him out. Auburn Observer. He makes great points every single day, and it gets sent right to your email inbox. Let's take a quick break here. You're listening to On the Line. Six minutes left in hour number one of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Intern Belichick, intern Sting still in the house. Intern Belichick leaving us. Don't be happy. All I have said to you is that I will miss you. Real talk, be happy because your graduation's coming up. What day do you graduate? Uh, we have to go there on the 10th to get our name cards, and then the 11th is when we actually graduate. I am actually. At what the, day is the 11th? Is that a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday? I believe it's. That's a Saturday. Saturday. That's holiday hoops giving. It's Saturday, yeah. Yep. And I have to go and walk at 8 a.m. Sting. Congratulations to you as well. You've been with us for a while. Second semester, you double dipped with us. And uh, when do you graduate? Friday? Yeah, it's the same day. So we all have to be at the stadium for a commencement and the speech and everything. Oh, um, they're still doing that? Friday. It's not in Auburn Arena? It's in the, uh, the it's stadium. In the football stadium now. Yeah. Oh, and they're my making word. us go. They're, they're making us go be- to get our little name cards yeah. so that we can give them to them on Saturday. Question. Are they actually going to have someone who does like a speech? Like, is it yeah. going to be a legit graduation ceremony for once? Yes. Uh, Saturday. speaking. Saturday, no. Friday is basically the commencement speaker. Right. Yeah. So yeah. they're doing all the festivities and things Friday, and then Saturday is when we actually walk. You just walk. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's going to be cold. In the morning. I got to walk he, for you guys. He, he has to go early. I got to walk at nine sixteen in the morning. Do y'all prefer but. it this way, or would you have rather had it the traditional way? I don't mind it. I don't mind having to like. It kind of stinks that we lose Friday night before graduation, but... Yeah. I mean, I would prefer it all in one because I, that's just what I'm used it's to. It's the thing. It's your send-off. Exactly. I hate it for you guys. My wife was in the same boat when she graduated, but she didn't get nearly as much as you guys got. They only... Back then, it was just you got to walk across for like... And that was it. Mm-hmm. And then it was over. I didn't do anything kind special. That sounds like what we're going to do. Yeah, but you're at least getting a commencement speech, right? Like, who's speaking at y'all's? Do y'all know? There's an alum from the early 70s, I believe. Okay. I hate it for you guys. I can't believe that that's still being done that way, especially considering that we have packed out arenas now. I legit am a little befuddled by that. Well, we can have a basketball game, but too, we can't do real graduation. There's um, way more seats in the stadium, though, you know, so it's going to be for family and stuff. We sit. couldn't do that in Auburn Arena, though. Well, I mean, we did graduation in Auburn Arena for uh, really. I mean, how many people time. can you fit in there? A lot. Can you really? Yes, Auburn High School does their graduation, and there did their graduation. But there's only, but there's only about nine thousand seats in Auburn Arena. Yeah, and they packed it out. Let me tell you what. Well, they, <laughs> look, I don't know about it, you. I think it's. I think it's there a was COVID more thing, people. I know, I know. That's why I'm a little. Considering we have basketball back, I am still a little confused. I mean, I got like two sides of the family coming and everything. I'm gonna have way too many people there just from one person so and there's how many i mean there's four or five thousand kids graduating right yeah so you think about it luckily it's kind of split up so you have their time slots so everybody can go in and then leave 
Right, so it's and not, then they cycle in a new crop when yeah. you walk. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they do it still based off of college for when you walk. I, I just thought that was interesting. I mean, you, you they did that for – I've been to December graduations before, you know, the apocalypse happened, and uh, they did it where – it was broken into three different sessions, you know, well, just like this. So I still don't know why it wouldn't be possible. When you have a large student body like this, you do what they did in the B movie, which is literally have like a five second ceremony and then it's just okay, all right, cycle out on to the next one. Let's do that in Auburn Arena. If we've got so many kids, let's just have like four or five cycles and let's just go go ahead and get it over with. Couple minutes left here in hour number one. Once again, guys, congratulations. Really proud of you guys and looking forward to see all the wonderful things that you guys do out in the real world it's fun on this side guys i actually really i enjoy it much better on this side than i did in school i really did you, you, you look at me crazy is it? it is it's better on this side <laughs> i say that to everybody uh some people may disagree but i actually really enjoy it on this side let's talk about saturday selections here pac-12 championship game tonight number 10 oregon against number 17 utah 7 p.m abc this is a game where I think we talked about this earlier in the week where I think a potential, not necessarily a blowout could be happening, but I think that Utah has a really good chance to run away with this game. I know the Utes are only favored by two and a half points, but look, we saw Oregon only score a touchdown against this team just a couple of weeks ago. Do we honestly expect them to to win this game? On the, I know something that you pointed out earlier in the week. It's really hard to beat a team twice. And to beat a team like that twice. I just don't know. I just don't know if Oregon has the offense to, to beat this team after losing the way that they that they did i would say like 34 17 something like that in where where utah just kind of controls it all the way through considering we talked about our chaos scenario yesterday and we spoke about how we need two through five and the college football playoff rankings to all lose i kind of want oregon to win this game so when that happens it's all the more difficult for the committee and oregon's like hey put us in <laughs> So are you, are you going to pick Oregon? We've not been keeping up with our record, by no, the way. We just completely while, yeah. discarded it, which is disappointing. But, you know, oh, well. You know, fun fact about this game real quick as Belichick um, hits a mic. My, uh, Belichick, what's going on, my man? You were just telling us that there's one minute left in the segment. Got you. Okay. All right. So fun fact about this matchup. Total yards exactly on the dot, 434 each. Point one more for Oregon at 434.4 to Utah's 434.3, right? But defense for Utah is obviously a lot better. Um, I just don't think Oregon's been playing good football since about mid-October, and Utah's been playing their best football down the stretch since they made their quarterback change. Defense is stifling. The way that they handled Oregon in the first game, I'll pick Utah, but I don't think it's going to be easy as easy as it was in the first game. I think Cristobal is going to make the necessary changes also wonder if oregon's distracted by potential coaching inquiries for hmm. a certain mario cristobal that's it for hour number one we'll have hour number two on the other side of this break talking coaching carousel when we come back you are on the line Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500.
Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. One more hour in the work week. Let's get it going. But first, want to remind everybody, you can watch the Pac-12 championship game on TV or you could listen to it here on ESPN 106.7 tonight starting at 6 p.m. out of Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. The Pac-12 championship game can be heard right here on ESPN 106.7. Live game broadcast on ESPN 106.7 are presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Keo Auburn, University Ace Hardware, and Franklin Tire and Auto. Tonight's title game, number 10, Oregon against number 17, Utah at 7 p.m. on ABC, as well as you can also hear the Dr. Pepper Big 12 championship game tomorrow beginning at 10 a.m. Central, as well as the ACC Championship game at 6 p.m. Once again, here on ESPN 106.7. All that good stuff coming up. We'll have Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us, as we do every Friday, but he'll be joining us on the phone line as he's hard at work on many of the different things that he covers for AuburnSports.com. He'll be coming up at 3.30 here in this hour. We'll also have Saturday selections coming up throughout the rest of this hour as well. We're going to start off hour number two grading the coaching hires or at least some of the coaching hires that we have seen so far in this coaching carousel things seem to be settling down just a tad are we just waiting for Oklahoma or have I missed something I think we're just waiting for Oklahoma right because Notre Dame got their guy uh who am am I missing I don't think there's I don't think I am missing any major openings is of course what we're talking about right right. I don't think there there is another big job open right now I think UMass is open hey Huge, hey yo. huge news. <laughs> All right, let's start off by grading these coaching hires. Don't get into A plus, A minus, things like that. Just A, B, C, D, F. Why you limit me to just numbers? Man, or just, because it, just, it becomes so arbitrary with well, A minus. Well, I didn't mean to say numbers. I meant to say letters. But what I'm saying is like <laughs> the numbers would average out in my mind to be like pluses and minuses. If I were to give them like first, I give them like a grade, like an actual number. And then I'm like, okay, what would that be? Fine. Do what you want, Lance. Here Yay. we go. Do it your way. <laughs> USC, Lincoln, Riley. Give me a grade. B. Straight up. Oh, so that's like someone giving you the creative leeway to do whatever you want. I've then got, you're just look, like, look, I've got minuses and pluses on here, man. But Lincoln Riley's just a plan B. Sell me on it. I think that I don't know how I don't know how much success Lincoln Riley can have at USC past what Clay Helton's peaks were, which were 10, 11 win seasons that didn't amount to a college football playoff berth. I I think the resources are there. But I just don't know if the Pac-12 is taken seriously enough to where he could win the win the uh, conference, have one loss, and then get into the CFP. So let me ask a very difficult question then in response to that. Whose fault is that? USC, the Pac-12, or Lincoln Riley? I think I would just say the Pac-12 in general. I don't think it's necessarily USC's fault. I don't necessarily think that it's Riley's fault. He's stepping into a situation where the conference that he's going to coach in is trash. So that's why I would give this higher an A because I don't think they could have done any better. I don't know right. who else they could have gotten that would have been better than Lincoln Riley in this coaching carousel other than Brian Kelly, maybe. I don't know if anybody... I would take Lincoln Riley over James Franklin. Yeah, They're kind of the same coach, except one has had a lot more success than the other. Um, I, I can't think of anybody else out there that I think they could have done better. That's why I would have put it at an A. I think at this year's coaching carousel... And looking at everything, the only way that they could have done better maybe in terms of being able to actually get USC into a a college football playoff would be if they hired like Urban Meyer 
And I think Lincoln Riley can still get him there. Yeah, I think he can. I just don't know if he will. And so yeah. I'm setting it as a B right now because of the circumstances. I think there's opportunity to elevate the program to to an A with, with this hire, but I just don't know if he can get there because of the limitations the conference has. I don't disagree with you there. I think I'm more approaching this from a different angle, saying that they couldn't have made a better hire here, no, so I'll give them an so. A. Yeah, sure. Uh, moving on to our next team, LSU with Brian Kelly. A. I think it's just a plain old A. <laughs> now, how does he say A? And once again, I'm still very disappointed. You fought for the minuses and the pluses. Look, they're coming. They're coming, <laughs> all right? Give it a second. For people like Rhett Lashley, they're coming. <laughs> oh, yes, they are. Uh, yeah, I think that Brian Kelly was a really good hire for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think he's going to be able to bring back some of the things that made LSU football what it was. Uh, under Les Miles and in the in the uh, early two thousands all the way up until it's like Miles a better left. version of Les Miles. Yes, I think they're going to be more physical. I think they're going to run the ball a little bit more. I think this is going to be a very fun team to watch on defense again. I think that's going to be exciting to see. Uh, and then also something else that I think should be pointed out when you look at these teams, and I think we'll talk about this situation with Oklahoma whenever they hire their coach, you look at these teams in the SEC transitioning into a 16-team conference, I think you have to ask yourself for these teams that have just hired coaches or could potentially be letting go of coaches before the move is made, what does consistency look like for you after Oklahoma and Texas move, right? What does consistency look like for LSU? I think this was a splashy hire, but I don't think LSU is necessarily trying to rebuild Rome in a day. I think they're trying to get a guy that will transition them into that 16-team conference smoothly without any bumps in the road, and he will be able to stabilize the program when that happens and then build the program up. I think this was a really good hire for long-term success in the Southeastern Conference for, for LSU, and I think we'll, we will be asking the same question uh, whenever Oklahoma gets their guys, what does consistency look like for you for for you now? Because you are moving into a different conference that is going to be much more difficult. What did you dock LSU on here? Because you gave them an A. What is I think it's an A plus. So what's preventing you from saying this was just the best hire of the coaching carousel? Because I, I think this is in that one percent of knockout coaching hires that like we never see. Like, we never see stuff like this unless Urban Meyer enters back into college football. You know what I mean? Like, what is holding you back from there? Well, I didn't give anything an A-plus, and to be honest with you, first of all, I don't think anything's perfect. But also, at the same time, there's that there's that thought in the back of my mind for all of these coaches. Like, well, there's also the opportunity that, that they could fail because they just don't fit in certain areas. He fits in almost every single area outside of culture, uh, however you define that. But... I just I think that it was a very, very, very good hire, best of the uh, coaching carousel so far. I'm just not ready to give anybody a perfect grade yet because they've not coached a game. You could be a 99 and still have an A+. Plus. I, would, <laughs> I would say like 95. Okay. I, don't think, I, don't, I would not give any grade higher than that to a coach that's not had a game there yet. Okay. I want, I want to see the product on the field. I think that they could, the, the LSU has the smash hire of the – of the carousel and I don't think anybody else is going to be able to top it and um you know I don't know what Oklahoma is going to do they're obviously going to they should be able to attract a a big time candidate like what if Cliff Kingsbury comes down from the NFL back to college now I doubt that'll happen why would you leave the NFL if things are going well but um especially to a unenviable position I would say at Oklahoma coming to the SEC I mean their own head coach was like peace I can't handle this so I, I think that Brian Kelly Man, I I think I don't know if LSU could have done better than this, and so I, I'll go A plus with it. 
Um, just once again, putting into perspective of the rest of the coaching carousel and all the other hires, for me, looking at this from a bell curve angle, they're in that 1%. Like, nobody else did better than this. You know, this is in the elite level of hires made in this coaching carousel, so I'll give them an A+. Next one, Texas Tech, Joey McGuire. We talked about this like a month ago, and I really liked this hire. What do you think? D+. Plus. Really? I don't like this hire. Why? We talked. I thought I sold you guys on this. This is a Power 5 team that hired a guy that's not been anything other than a position coach. That's That's my reason. I don't think that they'll be doing anything in the Big 12, even after Oklahoma and Texas leave. My thing is, this is a guy who knows the area that he's in very well, has deep recruiting ties in the state of Texas. I think this can, I think this can work. I really do. I will have to see what what the rest of his staff looks like, but right now with it, it's not I don't think it was a is it was a great hire by any means. I, I just don't think that he has the pedigree to be coaching at a place like uh, Texas Tech. He comes from Baylor being an assistant head coach. I mean, you could have said the th- same thing about Shane Beamer. Now, I'm sure you probably di- didn't like the Shane Beamer hire very much either, no, did you? No. I mean, Shane Beamer was an assistant head coach and a position coach at South Carolina, but you can at least look at what he's done at Baylor. Baylor has been elevated to top half of the Big 12 in recruiting every single season since he's been there. He's got a heavy hand in recruiting at Baylor. On top of that, he's been a part of two rebuilds at Baylor under Dave Aranda and then Matt Rule before him. This guy's played a key role in it. I think he knows how to rebuild a program. He knows how to recruit in the Big 12 landscape, and he knows how to recruit in the state of Texas in some key and maybe unknown areas considering his track record in high school football because he used to be a high school football head coach, and he took a team even – he even was a part of a rebuild as a high school football head coach where he took them where they had never even won a playoff game, and he won three state championships at his respective school, I believe in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I like this hire. Now, I'm not going to put it anywhere in the same ballpark as Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly – I'll say it's like a B minus in comparison to all the other coaching hires. I think from a fit standpoint, I, and I've talked about this a little bit with Auburn offensive coordinator search right now, is that I, I don't think people should necessarily get as caught up on maybe necessarily some of the work experience or you know where, where have they coached at before uh, as if it was a big name or something like, like that. Is this a good fit for what you're trying to do in the program and can he help your team improve and succeed in the areas they need to in order for the entire program to succeed and I think Joey McGuire checks all the boxes that Texas Tech needs right now I don't know he was coaching high school in 2016 I just don't know if he's ready to make that jump and well maybe he can build a program up like you said maybe he can get recruiting going in the state of Texas I think that's very possible but as of right now I just don't see I don't see it on the resume so let's uh, again I'm reserving a lot of what of how I feel about these teams until I see the product on the field but in terms of hires without having seen the product I would probably say that it's probably the shakiest hire that I've seen all right TCU Sonny Dykes I'll give it a C uh, I think that that Sonny Dykes has what? Where was he at? He was at Louisiana Tech. Then he was at California, and then he was at uh, that he was he was at. Um, well, he was just at Louisiana he Tech. He was at, at Louisiana Tech. Was he just at Louisiana Tech? I thought he was at uh, La Tech. No, my bad. That. SMU. He was at La Tech many years and then ago. He yeah, SMU. he was at SMU. My bad. But he's not done anything crazy consistent uh at any of the stops that he's been at and so i just wonder whether or not he's going to be able to do that or bring consistency to tcu with oklahoma and texas leaving the big 12 who knows maybe he pops off i'm just looking at what he did at cal i'm looking at what he did at smu he only had one 10 win season uh at both of those places combined so 
We'll just have to see. Uh, right now, I'm, I'll say C, C-plus, somewhere around there. I give it a B-minus. I think they could have done better, but I also... Like, like I don't want to say he's been mediocre. He's 71-63 and 63 as a head coach, though, but he's been at some pretty difficult places to win, and he's won at the group of five level at a high level. He won at Louisiana Tech. He won at SMU, and uh, he's had a lot of success over the last four years at SMU. So he knows the Dallas-Fort Worth area very well because of SMU. That that I mean, those two are very in, in close proximity to each other. He went to the other side of a rivalry game that plays for a trophy here. Um, I I feel like TCU is dropping down from Gary Patterson to Sonny Dykes, right? Like I know Gary Patterson didn't end well, but I, I still feel like you're taking a step down. Yeah. And maybe they could have attracted like a high octane offensive coordinator for somewhere from somewhere rather than a coach who um really it, like this seems like his second chance at a it is his second chance at a power five school you know um and based on what he did at cal i just don't know if i'm sold that he's going to be able to do it at tcu so i'm with you there i'll go b minus um just because i don't think it's the worst I, mean, I don't think he's one of the worst coaches out there that have, that have been brought in either um and I, and I think he can win there in a weaker big 12 just gonna have to see just gonna have to see there I would have liked to have seen a big time OC somewhere take the step to TCU though someone that scores like that. a lot of points yeah I think that would have been a really good fit for TCU honestly I might just put this as like a C or a C plus I think this is from a fit perspective just kind of an average hire for TCU like this was not the hard move to make this was yeah. not you didn't have to reach to get Sonny Dykes if you look at Sonny Dykes track record he wants to coach at a power five school He's moved around every four seasons or so at his respective universities. He wanted to coach at a Power 5 school. And, you know, maybe from an offensive standpoint, and Dykes has had some really good offenses at the Group of 5 level, maybe it'll work at TCU, but it kind of almost felt lazy. You might have been able to get a little bit more of a youthful, high-octane offensive coordinator that brought some life to the program. You moved away from Gary Patterson for a reason. Did you really get that far away from Gary Patterson-like results with Sonny Dykes? I don't think so. I have a feeling in four or five years, we're going to be having this conversation again with TCU, and they could have just avoided that by taking a shot on an up-and-coming OC from somewhere that could have, that definitely would have came in and put up a lot of points, and they might have been able to, uh, with their youthfulness, been able to bring in some recruits too. I don't know what Sonny Dykes is going to offer this team on the recruiting trail. I agree. Like you said, I think it's just a relatively average hire. Let's go to another one here. Uh, Florida, Billy Napier. Billy Napier, A minus. I like what he did at Louisiana Te- or Louisiana Lafayette. Excuse me. I think that he was really consistent at that program. I'm curious to see what the recruiting looks like with Florida. I think that there are there is room to grow and to to bounce back relatively quickly with Billy Napier because of the resources that he has in that program. It's just the question of whether or not he will uh, do that. But I think. I think he was a really good hire, especially the fact that he's still in he's in that uh, southern hemisphere. He's in this this region. He's been at Alabama. Uh, I think he knows was, how to recruit well. He knows how to recruit. He knows the landscape. I think this was a good hire. The fact that he comes from the Nick Saban coaching tree, I think this is one of the ones that will work. I know there's been some that have not worked when they've gone to the head coaching level. This is a guy that I think is going to work because he knows how to recruit well. When you're talking about fit and checking boxes at these relatives at these schools in these locations i think this is a hire that checks some boxes for florida and some areas that they need namely recruiting he also is going to bring discipline and a structure to a program that right now i think desperately needs it 
uh, based off of everything that you read that comes out of Gainesville. He's basically going to rectify all the issues, I think, that Dan Mullen let fester in the Florida program that ruined his tenure. Now, will he be as good of an offensive mind or as good of a, a as good of a schematic leader as Dan Mullen probably not I have a lot of respect for what Dan Mullen does from a scheme perspective but that's not what's most important in a head coach you need a guy who's going to be able to run this program his coordinator hires are going to be very important at Florida and I haven't seen any of the coordinator hires that they've made and I'm sure those are to come in the, over the next month or so but his coordinator hires will be very important to help leverage success early in his career and get the right schemes in but but what I like about Napier the most is his ability to bring structure and discipline to a program that desperately needs it and his ability to recruit to a program that really didn't feel like it reached its full potential under Dan Mullen in that category yeah and he'll uh, definitely be recruiting all year round unlike Dan Mullen who will only recruit when it's time to recruit Last one here before we head to break, and we'll wrap this conversation up with this spot. Notre Dame announced today Marcus Freeman is their head coach, 35-year-old head coach at the helm of the Golden Dome. I really like this hire from a, a culture perspective. It seems like the locker room will, will attach to this guy pretty quickly. Did you see the video when I, he entered, when he went in? I did. I think that I think this this locker room will rally around this guy. It's just I don't know enough about him outside of that. I know he was at Cincy. I know he's been at Notre Dame as the D.C. I just – Purdue Purdue I I would like to see I would like to see the product I think that the 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 team will love him I just don't know if the team is going to play well under him this is one of the hottest names on the coordinator trail for quite some time and then as one of the hottest names to be able to take the next jump to become a head coach for some reason I have a vague memory that Marcus Freeman was a candidate way you know five six years ago when Auburn was potentially looking for guys for DBs coaches and whatnot or linebackers coaches for, for whatever Auburn was looking to fill on defense I feel like this was some this was a name that came up like five six years ago and he's a hot name and he's been an up-and-comer of course though you go back to the question he's 35 years old and he doesn't have really any significant experience in terms of being a head coach at a major program at 35 years old is that going to be overwhelming but I do agree with you that this is a great fit from a culture standpoint inside that locker room they need a rallying point right now and Marcus Freeman is that he's a very likable coach he's a very likable guy this he's going to be a player's coach they're going to love this guy they're absolutely going to love Marcus Freeman they already do I mean he's been their defensive coordinator they love this guy this is probably who the players wanted to be their head coach after Brian Kelly left my question is you know you've got no experience running a program and you look at a guy like Dan Mullen and you see you know the success that he has had over his 10 plus years being a head coach and you see how quickly something can sour at a place like Florida where there are a ton of resources comparable resources to what you've got at Notre Dame and this guy's been coaching for a very long time right he's got years of experience on Marcus Freeman at what point you know like any one misstep can sour something inside a program because it can lead to other issues it can be a domino type snowball effect and we saw that with Dan Mullen at Florida how does Marcus Freeman avoid stuff like that and that can happen to any coach not just someone who's 35 maybe he's got um you know maybe he is going to figure it out really quickly on the job but I do think there's going to be a learning curve and people would be um I, I think naive to believe that there wouldn't be a learning curve here for someone that's 35 years old coming into a place with the stature of Notre Dame that's what I'm saying is like he's he's very very young we'll just have to wait and see what he does but from a culture standpoint I think this team can go places because they do like they like him so much and I think they're gonna have an excellent defense now I think Tommy Reese resigned as their OC as well so they're at least keeping the core of what Brian Kelly had there uh so let's see if that can amount to anything uh 
in terms of wins and losses for them. Also, something something interesting I think is is worthy of note. Has any player or or coach or anything entered the transfer portal or or even hinted at potentially moving to LSU uh, with Brian Kelly? They were trying to pull Tommy Reese, and I think Tommy Reese resigned with Notre Dame. So nobody has moved with him. At I don't least think not so right now. Interesting. Oh, I mean, you look at the Notre Dame situation right now. I don't think it was taken very kindly. Yeah. By people inside the locker room. Um, you know, and it was painted as a business decision by even the you know the athletic department because their AD said this is no this is not a surprise to us. We've been seeing this for months. It's like what you've been seeing this for months. Is that why Notre Dame's been struggling against Toledo and Purdue? Did you did you see how the the announcement video for LSU was actually just Notre Dame's announcement video uh, a few years ago when when Brian Kelly was hired and they just edited over it and clipped it and like put LSU logos and stuff on it? No literally LSU stole almost like shot for shot uh, a video that Notre Dame had produced. Ready? Uh, that's terrible. As, as someone who works in like You saw it? Are we sure? Are we yeah. sure that yes. that's true? Yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's true. Wow. I have not seen the... I, I want to see the Notre Dame one. I did. It's 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 literally shot for shot and they just put like the purple on, on his clothes and put the logo on it and everything. It's, it's shocking. <laughs> they literally LSU's production... Uh, team, it's it's awful. Like that was that was just so embarrassing. Interesting. I'm gonna, I didn't hear anything about that. I'm gonna have to go do some research and go and look that up. That that's crazy. We need to hit, hit a quick break right here. We're 22 minutes into hour number two of the Friday edition of On the Line. Twenty-five minutes through hour number two of the Friday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Going to get into Saturday's selections for the next couple of minutes as it's conference championship Saturday. Hit that hotkey, Belichick. Saturday selections. Okay, Dr. Pepper, Big 12 championship game. You can hear this right here on ESPN 106.7 on Saturday. 11 a.m. kickoff. Live game broadcast on ESPN 106.7 are presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Kia of Auburn, University Ace Hardware, and Franklin Tire and Audio. Number nine, Baylor against number five, Oklahoma State, 11 a.m. ABC. I want Oklahoma State to win this game, but if it doesn't the chaos scenario require Oklahoma State to lose this, this game, right, Noah? Yes. Okay, in which case I'll pick Baylor. <laughs> I will pick Baylor to win this game. Look, I, I think uh, Oklahoma State's defense has been uh, really good so far this season. Their offense has kind of been eh. I've not been a Spencer Sanders truther. He's their quarterback. I don't think that he's a very good player. I think they've kind of been coasting along on their defense. And Baylor, on the other hand, I think they've got a pretty good offense. Uh, their defense is, is decent. We saw them shut, shut down Oklahoma just a couple weeks ago. I'll They're the, the same team. I'll pick the Bears. I think that Baylor's got a, uh, a better offense. They're the same team, except Oklahoma State's numbers look a little bit better. But you go down the stretch, and these two teams last played back in like late September, early October, and Oklahoma State won by 10, but I think they're in vastly different places than where they were at then. I, I think Oklahoma State has not improved since that time at the rapid rate that Baylor has improved. I'll take Baylor. I think that's a legit upset this weekend. These guys can score. Sting, you're shaking your head. Now nah, the Pokes are going to win, man. I- I haven't actually fact-checked this, but I heard this on the radio earlier this morning that Bohannon, Baylor's quarterback, is questionable for the game. No! So, I am going to take Oklahoma State. The mullet is going to the playoff. Book it. 
I'll, I'll also, yeah, he's he's listed as questionable. I'll also say this. Uh, oh, Baylor's averaging almost 50 more yards of total offense than Oklahoma State is. And, I again, I'm just I'm not a Spencer Sanders guy. I don't know if he can survive against this Baylor team. Moving into the MAC championship game, Kent State, Northern Illinois, 11 a.m. ESPN. What do I even make of this game, man? It's the MAC. It's going to be crazy. That's Is Dustin Crum still playing at Kent State? If he is, I don't know. If he is, I'm I haven't watched either of these teams once he this is. season. He is playing. Oh, but his numbers are not that great. All I know is Northern Illinois Dude. beat Georgia Tech in the first week. Rocky Lombardi is Northern Illinois' quarterback. Yeah. The former Michigan That's State That's a dude, QB. man. That is a dude. 13 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, 58% completion percentage. That's not good. Yeah, what's Kent State's defense doing? They are giving up 34 points a game. They're averaging 33. So, okay, hang on. There is a championship... Team. Both of these teams are giving up more than they're scoring per game. Wow. Lance, we need a pick. We're about to have to go to break. Yeah, give me give me Kent State. <laughs> really? Yeah. Why are you shocked? Well, I mean, <laughs> said, they've, I'm not been, watched... they've been worse this year. You're like, I've not watched either of these teams. I'm like, I'm going to go with this one. Northern like, Illinois <laughs> at least beat a Power 5 opponent. Yeah, but is Georgia Tech really like Power 5 caliber consistently with with uh, Jeff Collins or whoever their, their head coach is? I don't, I don't think they are. Sting. NIU is going to win. I've watched pieces of two or three different NIU games. Therefore, I consider myself an expert, at least in this room. Go Huskies. Kent State beat Northern Illinois in November 52-47. to Don't care. I, it's hard to beat a team twice. Give me the Huskies. And I think they've been the better team from start to finish this year, too. So, give me Northern Illinois. Got a shot to see that, that those two teams did play, though, and that Kent State did win. We'll pick more of these games later on in the show. We got Christian Clemente of AlbertSports.com coming up. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. 30 minutes left in your work week here on On The Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. And we've got Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us on the line. Christian, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing really good. How about you guys? Doing really well. And I know you're hard at work out there covering so much going on in the Auburn sports sphere right now. We've got a lot to talk about with you on recruiting, but we'll save that good stuff after we talk a little bit about the OC search. Where do you feel that is heading at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think right now the favorite would probably still be considered Zach Hill, um, the former Boise coach who's worked with Brian Harson and some of these guys in the past and is the current uh, coordinator over at Arizona State. I think all signs are kind of pointing that direction as of now, but there's still some other names to keep monitoring. Um, there's uh, Grimes over at Baylor. There's the Western Kentucky offensive coordinator. There's uh, Del McGee as well. So there's certainly names to keep monitoring out there. But I think Zach Hill is probably the one to really keep a close eye on. Another thing to monitor right now is the situation with Bo Nix as to transfer or not to transfer. Where do you think see things trending right there right now with Bo? Yes, uh, as of right now, things seem to be trending towards Bo returning to Auburn next year, which would be huge i think um i think bo gives this team the best chance to win with the current situation uh at the offensive line and receivers and stuff like that assuming bo's able to come back healthy and everything he's just a playmaker so as of right now things seem to be trending towards him returning which would be big how long do you think it'll be till we actually know for sure 
Uh, you know, I, I don't have an exact timetable on that, but from talking to sources close to the team and stuff like that, all indications point towards him coming back. That's good news for Auburn. Looking to continue and have continuity on the offensive side of the football. Now let's get into the good stuff. You cover recruiting for Auburn football, auburnsports.com. We have not talked about the impact of the Iron Bowl on recruiting with you. And, of course, I just keep seeing recruit after recruit after recruit on my timeline and some big ones like a five-star offensive tackle recently just announced that he's coming on an official visit. What impact did the Iron Bowl have on recruiting to resuscitate it from its lowly state going into the game earlier that week? Yeah, so I think the Iron Bowl was huge. Um, Obviously, Auburn would have loved to win, and that would have been just the cherry on top. But all things considered, I I think it was just about as close as you can get to an absolute win uh, for a recruiting weekend. I mean, they had a ton of different kids in. They got to witness a really close game, a really good game, and fantastic atmosphere at Jordan-Hare Stadium. And then, you know, Auburn is able to sell these kids on, hey, we're super close, we're a couple players away, and you can make that impact. So that's kind of what Auburn has been trying to do. Um, I think it did give this 2022 class a little bit of a jump start, just a little bit of a boost to kind of get it going again. Um, and then it was huge for the 2023 kids because, you know, ready or not, that class is about to start getting going here soon. There's a couple of kids that will be committing in the month of December, actually. So th- that was big for the 2023 class as well. Who are some of the big names right now that are going to be coming on to campus uh, that could be major shakers in this class? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to talk about first um, Julian Armella, the number four player in the entire class in the rivals rankings, an offensive tackle. So he's obviously a huge position of need for Auburn, and he's going to be coming in on an official visit this weekend. Um, that's massive. Auburn is a little bit behind in his recruitment. He already has the top four, and Auburn's not in that top four. But Auburn's making a late push. They're really trying to sell him on that. And they're also trying to go and get his teammate, uh, wide receiver Camden Brown. And Camden Brown will be on an official this weekend. So they'll have those two guys in on an official this weekend. And, you know, if Auburn was able to get both of those guys, which I think Brown is probably wide receiver one on the board right now and the most realistic. And obviously Julian Armella, the number four player in the class, would be a dream offensive tackle for Auburn to get. So if they're able to get those two, that would be huge. I don't know if they will be able to get those two, but they're getting them on campus this weekend, and then we'll go from there. And then they're also bringing in uh, running back Justin Williams on an official visit this weekend. He's the former West Virginia commit. You know, Auburn continues to monitor the running back room for a second running back. They're looking at Trevante Citizen a lot. They like him, the former LSU commit, but he's going to be pretty tough to pull, so... We'll kind of see what happens there with running back. And then the last two guys on official visits this weekend will be uh, Eston E.J. Harris, the Auburn High offensive line commit, and then Powell Gordon, the Auburn High linebacker slash edge commit. What do you think about the uh, SEC championship going on tomorrow? Just want to quickly get your thoughts on that matchup. Yeah, I mean, I would probably lean Georgia, and lean Georgia pretty heavily too. Um, I mean, I think that, we saw what an Auburn defense that has struggled at times this year was able to do against Alabama and Alabama's offensive line and really disrupt Bryce Young. So then you plug in Georgia's defense there against uh, Alabama's offensive line. It's like, oh boy, this is going to be not a lot of fun for Alabama's offensive line. So I would probably go Georgia and I'd probably pick them to win by like 10, somewhere in that range. 
talking about the SEC championship game, in what way could a result on Saturday, either Georgia or Alabama, affect Auburn recruiting? Uh, you know, I don't think it would be too huge. There's a couple targets out there, like a Curtis Perry, who is deciding between – he has a top five, but it's really just an in-state battle of Auburn-Alabama. And he did come out after the Iron Bowl and say that Auburn is his leader as of now. Um, so I guess an Alabama loss could kind of help that maybe a little bit. Um, and then Tyre West, the Georgia five-star defensive line commit, who was also in the Iron Bowl. Um, I think Auburn's in a really good spot there. While he is committed to Georgia, I think this is kind of an Auburn-Florida State battle on trying to flip him, and it doesn't seem like he'll stick with Georgia. So there are a couple kids that are committed to both Alabama and Georgia that could make or Curtis is not committed to Alabama, but there's a Georgia commit, and then there's obviously some Alabama targets that Auburn's kind of working to get as well. So it could have a little bit of an impact on recruiting. Talking about recruiting here, obviously the other aspect for Auburn is the transfer portal. We asked this question to Justin Ferguson earlier. I want to ask you, what do you think is the most valuable position for Auburn to be pursuing in the transfer portal this offseason? Oh, man. I mean... You have to pick between offensive tackle and wide receiver, and I don't know which one I would pick because the wide receivers, um, you know, I'm probably I'm probably going to have to go offensive line because I would expect a decent amount of this year's offensive line to be gone just because of graduation and running out of eligibility and stuff like that. So I would probably go offensive line just because. They're probably going to be pretty thin there. Um, Auburn did lose Elijah Canyon to the wide or to the transfer portal, but they do still at least have some receivers. While the offensive line is pretty bare right now, so I'd probably go offensive line. But I mean, I think Auburn wants to get maybe a couple offensive linemen and maybe a couple wide receivers out of the portal. So, last question to you before we let you get out of here: What's your biggest hot take on the recruiting trail right now? Ooh, biggest hot take. Um. I mean, it would probably be the Curtis Perry that I just talked about a little bit. Um, I mean, he always just kind of felt like an Alabama lean, and then he came out and said after the Iron Bowl that Auburn was his leader. Um, And Auburn's selling him on being kind of a Colby Wooden, in a sense, where Alabama's saying, hey, Curtis, we want you to bulk up. We want you to play defensive tackle, play inside. But Auburn says, you know what, we'll have you play D-end, we'll have you play edge, you could slide inside still. So it would be kind of like a Colby Wooden. And then what they're saying is kind of be the next Demarcus Lawrence, who some of these guys coach back at Boise State. So I think Curtis Perry is the biggest storyline probably to keep monitoring over the next couple weeks going into early signing day. Obviously, Julian Armella is huge, and he'll be here this weekend. I just... I'm not sure of Auburn's chances. We'll really know once he leaves his visit on Sunday and have a better idea on if that's really worth monitoring moving forward. Christian, we appreciate the time with us today. Tell everybody all the great content they ex- they can expect from you guys over at AuburnSports.com. Yes, yeah, so we just had a war room breaking down, um, even more recruiting stuff that we put up. And then we had a update on Bo Nix as well, and we'll have some other stuff and basketball coverage for the game tomorrow as well. So, You can find all that over at AuburnSports.com. Christian, I appreciate it, my man. Uh, Where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, at Clemente underscore. Thank you, guys. You have a great weekend. That was Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us here on the Friday edition of On the Line. We're going to step aside, and when we come back, we'll wrap up the show with Saturday Selections.
On the Line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Wrapping up the final segment of the Friday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner lands Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7. Intern Belichick, intern Sting with us for the final few minutes of the show. Intern Belichick, it is your final nine minutes it's the final countdown how's it feel it's weird it's a weird feeling right now it is yes it is because you've been with me for a long time now for months <laughs> we get used to you guys and then you leave us i understand it i understand it we are going to do some saturday selections here before we get out of here on the show but Let's get into the Mountain West Championship game. Utah State at number 19, San Diego State, 2 p.m. Fox. So Utah State was a program that went, had took a little bit of a dip after that first year with Jordan Love, right? And since then, they've kind of bounced back. They're going to play San Diego State in the title game. Even though there would be no world where San Diego State gets into the mix chaos-wise, I think a 12-1 San Diego State would, would be interesting to, to watch simply from a where do they land in a bowl uh, perspective. I'm going to take the Aztecs to win this one. What San Diego State has done, what their identity has been built off of for seemingly forever now, has been defense and running the football, and they have continued to do continued to uh, do that this season. I'm impressed with the way that they've been coached. I'm going to take them over Utah State. Give me the Aztecs. San Diego State is the cream of the crop in the Mountain West, so I'm going Aztecs as well. Belichick, as we get into Saturday selections, hit that hot key, my man. Saturday selections. All right, 2.30 p.m. Saturday, ESPN, Appalachian State at number 24, Louisiana. Billy Napier's last game with a Ragin' Cajuns. I wonder what that that has, what kind of effect that has on this game, right, with everybody knowing that this is going to be his last game uh, with Louisiana. I think I'm going to take App State to win this game after seeing the way that they played uh, I've watched quite a bit of App State football this year. I like the way that they play. I really like Chase Bryce, the uh, Clemson transfer. He's been solid this season. I think I'm going to take them to win this game simply because I don't know if Levi Lewis has enough in the tank to get it done against App State's defense. And then also, I don't know where this team is mentally heading into this contest. So I'll take App State in what appears to be somewhat of an upset. I'm going to go with Louisiana because I think they're going to play hard for their coach and send them out the right way when group of five coaches leave i don't think that they get into a bad headspace now when power five coaches leave i think they do i think it works differently because i think these players understand their coach is going to something better and that they're probably happy for their coach and they want to see them off right sting you got a take on this i'm going to go with app state too they they lead louisiana in just about every category that i can see right here just from a from a quick look so I'm going to go with the Mountaineers to win. And I, and I like how they play, too. They're a consistently great program, so I'm going to go with App State. Really? Okay. And keep in mind, Louisiana did beat App State earlier in the year, but can, it, it, I think it might be difficult to to do it once more yeah, on a neutral too. field. And, and I, App State's a three-point favorite. And App State's a three-point favorite. And I just don't know where this team is mentally. Is it neutral field or is it at Louisiana? It's at Louisiana. Oh, that's right. That's how they do it in the Sun Belt, right? They play it. Interesting. Well, and App State's still a three-point favorite. Wow. Interesting. 
Yeah, I'm taking the Mountaineers. I don't buy it. I'm going Louisiana. SEC Championship, number one, Georgia gets number three, Alabama, 3 p.m. CBS. Georgia by a mile. I, I, I'm kidding. I think that Georgia win this, wins this game something like 35-21. I think it's really close for about a half. I just don't know if Alabama's going to be able to keep up. I don't know if that offensive line is going to be able to, to keep Bryce Young intact. Can, can this Alabama team move the ball in this Georgia defensive line? I don't think they're going to be able to do it for a full four quarters. 35-21 is my score prediction for this game. Give me the Bulldogs. Sting? Yeah, I'm going to go with Georgia, too. I I do think that it is a little close, at least for a while, and I can really see a scenario where Alabama wins this because it's the most both the most Saban thing ever and the most Georgia thing ever. But I will go with Georgia to finally get over that hump and beat Alabama and lock down the number one seed. There's no way that I can pick Alabama with a good conscience looking at it on paper. Like, I just can't see a way. I can't see a path to victory there. I think Georgia controls the game on both sides of the football in the trenches. I don't think Alabama's going to be able to run the ball very well. No, Georgia's pass rush, I think this year is better than it is most years out of a 3-4 scheme. It may not be predicated on bringing a ton of pressure, but these guys play really well and they get after it. And it honestly doesn't even matter what Georgia's pass rush looks like because look at what Auburn's looked like for all year long. And Auburn lived in Alabama's backfields. I just don't see Alabama does enough on the scoreboard. And But like likewise, you could say the same thing about Georgia. Alabama's defense is playing fairly well down the stretch it just comes down to whether or not georgia can establish the ground game i can see this being a very low scoring football game but i am gonna go georgia i'm rooting for the refs yeah i think i think the refs are gonna have the best game of their lives I wanted and to, i yeah. hope they cost one of the teams i wanted to put out a poll on auburn wire because we can put polls out as i was literally going to have those three options alabama georgia or the refs team meteor team no meteor. team bang no all right, number 21, Houston, and number four, Cincinnati, 3 p.m. ABC, American Athletic Conference Championship. Does Cincinnati do what they got to do to get to the playoff? I think they do, yeah. I, I, I like the way that Houston's played so far this year. I think they've been impressive based on uh, the fact that they, over years past, with uh, with with uh, with the former – who's who's the guy's name? The former Troy coach that is now with them. No, not Neil, Neil Brown, excuse me. Who is uh, Houston? about Dana, Western, Dana Holgerson? Dana yes. Holgerson, yeah. I got West Virginia and Troy mixed up in my mind. He has gotten them to a point that I didn't think that he could get them to, which was 11-1. and one. Now, they did lose their one uh, Power 5 game that they got to play in this year to Texas Tech early in the season, but they beat SMU earlier in the year. I watched that game. That was a really impressive uh, game from, uh, from Houston. But I will take Cincinnati. I think they're playing really good football now after uh, after this midseason slump that they had. Give me Desmond Ritter. Give me the Bearcats. I think they make the playoff. Sting. Yeah, I got to go with Cincy too. I mean, I'm just looking at kind of a quick preview of stats and stuff. And interestingly, Cincinnati seems to build a lot of their game off of the ground game, and Houston is very, very good at defending the run. They allow less than 100 I'm yards per Houston, game. I'm going Houston, baby. And I think yeah, this is a bad matchup for Cincinnati. And I, just, I really like how they're playing. I'm really impressed that they've ripped off 11 straight wins. But I think Cincinnati is focused. I think they know what's at stake here. And I think they get Luke Fickle to win, and they lock down a playoff spot. Look, statistically, there's not a whole lot separating these two teams. Now, one team played a little bit tougher of a schedule in Cincinnati. They actually beat Notre Dame, whereas as Lance pointed out, Houston lost to Texas Tech, but also think this team got a lot better. And I think Houston, likewise, is playing their best football of the season at this point. Uh, the question will come down to the defenses here. And, uh, of course, I, I think on paper, you look at it, Cincinnati might have a better defense, but I also think on paper that Houston has a better offense. Um, and I am going to take Houston to pull an upset here. 
at Cincinnati. I think it's a bad matchup for Cincy in the fact that Houston does a really good job of defending the run. Cincinnati likes to run the football. They need that to help support Desmond Ritter, whereas Cincinnati, actually, believe it or not, at defending the run, not good. They give up 141 yards per game in that category, whereas Houston's averaging 150. I think they'll be able to make some things easier on their quarterback against that electric. I'll give it to you, electric Cincinnati pass defense. I'll give it up 160 a game in that category, but I'm going to go with the upset on Houston. Number two, Michigan against number 13, Iowa, 7 p.m. Fox. Michigan by a mile. I think that this is going to be a really ugly game. I've already picked Baylor and Houston, guys. I need this one for things to get crazy. Yeah, but Iowa, <laughs> Iowa, Iowa has, do been, it. <laughs> has been relying on turnovers to win games this season because their offense couldn't do anything. I don't think they're going to do anything against this Michigan team after beating Ohio State. I think they realize, oh, this is for real now. We're going to get into the playoff. All we have to do is win this game. I think they're going to be really focused and ready to win this one. Yeah, Michigan by a mile as well. I'll take Michigan. I just can't trust an offense that average, that can really literally put up just like 150 yards in this game. And they think, yeah, that was enough. Last game here, ACC Championship game. Probably the funnest game of the entire weekend. Number 15, Pittsburgh against number 16, Wake Forest, 7 p.m. ABC. Basketball on grass. Wake Forest's defense is probably not going to be able to hold up for long enough in this one. Give me Pittsburgh in a very high-scoring affair. Yeah, Pittsburgh, because Wake Forest's defense can't stop a fly. This one is going to be fun, though. Yeah, basketball on grass for sure. I'm going to be glued to this, but give me the Panthers. Give me Pittsburgh in this game because the defense is significantly better than Wake Forest and playing a lot better down the stretch as well than Wake Forest. So that's it there for your Saturday selections if we've, as we've just gone through all that. Guys, last question to you before we get out of here for today's show. Does Auburn hire an OC over the weekend? Uh... No. I think they do. I think we come in on Monday. I think the announcement will happen Sunday. That's right. just that in my in my gut, I'm thinking that Auburn's got somebody by Monday. All right. Is the early signing period next week or the week after? It's in the twenties, so two weeks from now. Okay. By or Monday. A little bit under three weeks. I think by Monday it's settled. I think so too. That's it for the Friday edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you on Monday to talk about all the news over the weekend. Maybe Auburn will have a new OC. Maybe they won't. Maybe we'll find out if Bo's coming back. All that over the weekend. Stay tuned. We'll be back with you on Monday. Same time, same place. You know where to find us. Hey, everybody. 